0: Thank you, Carla. I want to invite you to join me in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. The title of today's message is A Word About Joy. That story from John 16, as Jesus is getting ready to say goodbye to his disciples, and they're confused about what's going to transpire, what's going to happen here in the days to come. Jesus lets them know that they're going to experience a great deal of sorrow, but that sorrow will turn quickly to joy, to true, deep-seated rejoicing in God at the resurrection. And he uses an illustration about a woman in childbirth. I remember when um, we realized it was time to head to the emergency room with our first child, with Caleb. And uh, I, was, I was just 22 years old, and I was terrified. I didn't know, I had an idea of what to expect, but probably had either of us known what to expect, we probably wouldn't have gotten involved in that sort of thing in the first place. But um, as, as, as the hours of labor went on, you know, as a husband, you're trying to be as helpful as possible, and nothing is especially helpful that you do or say, um, but I remember at one point, point and, and I think I've shared this before, but at one point, the, as the labor was really progressing, and my wife was in a lot of pain, and she was starting to push, uh, our doctor, who was a believer, was trying to take her mind off the pain a little bit, I guess, and he said, in the middle of one of her contractions, Elisa, what, what does it, what does the Bible say about, about, about childbirth? And... Uh, and in the in the midst of her pain and agony and in the contraction through gritted teeth, she said, Children are a gift from the Lord. <laughs> and he's like, Well, I was thinking about the curse and pain and childbirth, but yeah, there's that too. And there is something that happens though when you hold that baby for the first time, all of a sudden, all that that pain y- you begin to forget, like y- you lock eyes. With, with that precious little child, and all of a sudden, just like Jesus said in John 16, you, you sort of forget about all the other stuff that had gone on before. And, and your, your heart is filled with joy and love at the sight of your newborn. And Jesus said that's, that's a little glimpse of the joy that we experience in Christ, this earthly joy, the celebration And having a child gives us a little bit of an insight in what Paul is going to talk about here in Philippians. In fact, he has been talking about it quite a bit already. And I just happened to, I I chose today to sort of camp on on this idea because we see it at the very beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. He says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul has been talking about it throughout the book. If you want to look at the references later on, you can see here. Here's just a little glimpse uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 4. He said that he's always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. Again, in verse 18, um, as he's talking about those, those gospel preachers that were doing doing it sort of to get a name for themselves. He says, either way, Christ is being proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And on and on he goes. This theme of joy and rejoicing comes up over and over and over again in the letter. And we really haven't said a lot about it. And I I just wanted to take today to stop and and, and say a few things about joy. Because it's going to continue to show up. In fact, I love chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul mentions joy at least a dozen times in this brief letter. And so I, I want to just say, I want us to just reflect on this idea of what it means to be joyful as a, as a believer and, and what that entails, what it, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And the first thing I, I want to just start with is that we need to know this about God, that God is a happy God. I don't, I don't know how you imagine God, how you picture God in your mind. If you picture God in your mind at all, uh, what what sort of expression he might have? What's God's countenance look like to you? Is he angry? Is he tired? Is he frustrated? I would submit to you that, that our God, at his is heart, is, is a God who experiences deep-seated joy and happiness. I'm not making this up on... on just off the my own wishes of what I want to shape God to be, I, I believe it's founded in the Word of God. Jeremiah 32, 41, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Jesus was a joyful being. And he says, listen, I'm imparting these things, John 15, 11 says, so that my joy may could be in you. I am I am the source of joy. I I am I'm, I'm I'm one who is who is glad. And I and I want you as my followers to have that. In John 16 he repeated the same thing that we just we just read. In 1 Timothy 1:11 Paul writes of the glorious gospel of the blessed God. That word blessed can mean happy, the glorious gospel of the happy God. In fact, that's what gospel means. It's good news. It's it's good tidings. Remember in in, in Luke chapter 2, we bring you good tidings of great joy. The gospel is that which brings joy because its source is the God of all joy, the God who is happy. John Piper says, the gospel's good, or it's, it's good news that God is gloriously happy. No one would want to spend eternity with an unhappy God. If God is unhappy, then the goal of the gospel is not a happy goal. And that means it would be no gospel at all. But, in fact, Jesus invites us to spend eternity with a happy God when he says, enter into the joy of your master in Matthew 25. God's heart is that we would experience the very joy that emanates from his heart. Again, John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We need to get this straight right from the get-go that our God is a glad God who longs to see our hearts come to a place of gladness and rejoicing in him. And so, that leads me to conclude that God is deeply interested in our joy. That God has a vested interest in seeing us experience his joy. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, it asks the question, What is the chief end or chief goal of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. Did you know that God created you for the purpose of finding joy in Him and His presence? Again, this can be a little bit, a, a little bit, uh, sort of uh, surprising or, or, or maybe confusing, especially if you grew up in a church setting that that didn't celebrate joy. Maybe it celebrated and focused in on duty, and on your job and on your obligations rather than experiencing the joyful presence of God. Sometimes in the church, we can send the wrong message. Just as my wife, through gritted teeth, declared that children are a blessing, sometimes we sing songs of praise through gritted teeth. Maybe our heart just isn't really there. We sing, yeah, you're a good God, yeah, whatever. And our hearts are not gripped by the character and the love in the presence of God. I, I want to just throw some other scriptures at you briefly, just to show that this isn't this isn't a, a isolated theme in the book of Philippians. Or Jesus didn't just say one or two things about it. I just I just picked a handful. I had a whole bunch I cut out of here, but here are just a, a handful of scriptures. In the Psalms, David say, says in Psalm 16:11, You reveal the path to light of life to me. In your presence, is abundant joy and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is crazy. How would we have written that verse? In your presence is holiness. That would be true. In your presence what there's there's stuff to do or or uh, how would you fill that in? The psalmist here he says in in your presence there is an abundant joy. As we draw near to God, he says that the, the joy of the Lord is, is, is overflowing. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. That's such a beautiful verse. Again, I, I, I promised I would just go through them briefly, so I won't preach a separate sermon on each of these verses. But um, Psalm 34.8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Again, we could fill in a different verb there, and it would be true. How safe is the person who takes refuge in him? Or how holy is the person who takes refuge in him? But he says, how happy, the, the, how glad the soul who finds solace in God alone. Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires, There, it's a command. Romans 14, 17, Paul explains that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and what joy in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, Acts 2, 46, describing the early church, this verse says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Charles Spurgeon has said, ours is a heritage of joy and peace, my dear brothers and sisters. If anybody in the world ought to be happy, we are the people. I I don't know, but I hope that this is reframing or at least reminding you of what it means to be a Christian. First and foremost, being a Christian isn't about duty. It's not about doing stuff, but it's about finding joy in the presence of God How would you describe joy? How do we define joy? I read quite a few def- definitions this week. But I, I, I sort of landed on on this that joy is the buoyancy. I like that word. Joy is the buoyancy or the good feeling deep in our soul that we experience in the presence of God that we derive from from his blessings in our life, his good gifts. Joy is a feeling. Some of us struggle with that, that we ought to be all mind and no feeling. Well, God didn't create us like that. That's not a realistic picture of who you and I have been created to be. We were created with emotions. And this emotion is something that God, God called us to experience, joy in him. Tim Keller has said to rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. But here's the problem with joy. Even though scripture tells us, in your presence, God, in your presence is fullness of joy. Our tendency, our natural human tendency is to go look for joy elsewhere. We're, we're joy seekers, which, which is, is a reminder that this is what God created us for. And so our natural tendency is to go find it in cheap substitutes, momentary Fleeting happiness—the—the—the the, the rush that we might feel, from—from from a late night snack, from—from from a, a going and, and spent going on a shopping spree, or 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 finding it in some other substitute for God. Choosing rather than to enjoy His gifts, trying to to make the gifts the main thing. And so, so often we're. We're trying to find this contentedness, and maybe for a while we'll lock on to something that gives us that little rush or that momentary momentary feeling that we like and that we long for. And so we just hone in on that, and and we're content with that. In an oft-quoted passage from C.S. Lewis, he writes this. He said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward... In the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can, cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. God longs for us to find true joy in Him. Thirdly, I want to point out that joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. What we're talking about here is not that feeling that you can experience only when everything's going right. Only when when you're in your happy place. When everything collides and the weather's perfect or the location's perfect or the bank account's perfect and you feel secure, you feel that rush, this joy is not dependent on circumstances. I know I've reminded you this, but Paul is writing from prison. And he talks about joy in this letter more than any of his other letters. Paul is a man who experiences joy in the Lord apart from stuff that's going wrong in his life, stuff that's hard in his life. There's a reason why Nehemiah 8:10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength because as we find our joy in him, that strength enables us, that, that spiritual strength enables us to continue to experience joy even in the midst of trials. And hardships. Joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Dr. Helen Rosevier was a medical missionary to the Congo. Where rebel armies posed a constant threat. In August of 1964, word spread that the local chief had been abducted and murdered. One night, Helen and the other female missionaries who had not already fled the country were seized at gunpoint by guerrilla soldiers who took over the hospital compound for five months. The women were savagely beaten and humiliated by the rebels. Helen had never forgotten that first dark night, and she once wrote, I felt unutterably alone. For a brief moment, I felt God had failed me. He could have stepped in and prevented this rising crescendo of wickedness and cruelty. He could have saved me out of their hands. Why didn't he speak? Why didn't he intervene? But in the midst of that terrifying ordeal, as she cried out to the Lord, she sensed him saying to her, Helen, can you thank me? Can you trust me? And Helen writes, that healing and release began when I said, Lord, I'm willing to thank you for trusting me with this experience, even if you never tell me why. She said, no, my circumstances didn't change, but he changed me in the midst of them. Most of us will never go through an ordeal like Helen Roosevelt experienced. But we do experience trials and circumstances in life that seem that seem insurmountable. And this call to rejoice is a call that is that, that exists even in the midst of hardship. And so it leads us. To conclude that joy is is still compatible with sorrow. Joy is compatible with sorrow. Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's already talked about experiencing sorrow from Epaphroditus, almost dying from his sickness. No doubt he has sorrows of being in chains. And yet, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You see, the command to joy is not a glib or ignorant dismissal of reality. Paul does not have his head in the sand, ignoring the circumstances around him. I've encountered that with Christians. Sort of this this stoicism, this, this fake joy that pretends like bad stuff's not happening. And that's not what Paul is calling us to. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse verse 10, he's describing to some of the Corinthians the 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 challenges and the hurts and the agony of ministry. And he uses this phrase in there that I think is so crucial. He says we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It does seem contradictory. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How do you do that, Paul? What Paul's saying is is that I'm acknowledging and and I'm confronting face on that, that stuff's not the way that it should be. In the context, the Corinthians were breaking his heart because they were following after false teachers. He was brokenhearted over that. And yet, his joy in the Lord was this undercurrent that buoyed him up despite his circumstances. My brothers and sisters, this morning, I would have to imagine that there's there's some of us here whose hearts are breaking in real and profound ways. Maybe your heart is aching over a lost loved one a medical diagnosis, someone who's recently passed, a prodigal, you name it, we can go on and on and on. The Christian scriptures do not ignore sorrow. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but I leave you my peace. I love, as we read the scripture, despite what, Sometimes we as pastors can say and the impression that we can give and Christian writers can give, we don't just have to walk around with this cheesy smile pasted on our face. That's not joy. You can experience joy with tears of sorrow running down your face. You you can realize that this is an awful situation. You can be brokenhearted, yet all the while knowing that your God is, Will sustain you, that your God is trustworthy. Tim Keller pointed this out. The Christian faith does does not ignore suffering and pain. In fact, Keller Keller said that in, in some ways, when you become a Christian, your sorrow increases. You think about it for a second, all of a sudden you're more aware of the ugliness of sin. Your own sin and the sin in the world around you. Things that before you kind of ignored or, oh, yeah, that's just the way it is. Or, that's, that's not my problem. All of a sudden, your heart weeps. Your heart breaks seeing brokenness and sin and pain. You feel the burden of lost souls that you never felt before. You ache when someone walks away from the faith that never would have been on your radar screen before. In some ways, being a Christian means your sorrow increases. Again, let me reiterate, joy in the midst of hardship is not stoicism. It's not a denial of the reality. Jesus was not up there on the cross saying, well, you know, I'm I'm just not going to let this get to me. I'm going to have a good day anyway. Jesus Jesus was weeping. Jesus was praying in agony before the cross. Jesus suffered. Think about Job. Job. You all remember what happened to Job. Everything, lost everything, including his health. When all these things came down, he ripped his clothes, he poured ashes on his head, and he falls on the ground and he, and he cries out. But the Bible says that in all of this, in all of this, Job did not sin. A lot of us would look around, we see somebody who's weeping like that, who's ripping their clothes, who's got ash on their head. And we would say, good grief. Get a grip. Pull yourself together. Think about all you got going for you. All these little pithy things that we try to say when someone's grieving that are incredibly unhelpful. In that grief, Job Did not sin, which means that deep sorrow, deep pain, deep anguish are not incompatible with joy. The difference is that the sorrow we feel is not a hopeless sorrow. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope because of the resurrection, and that's what Jesus said in in the passage that Carla read to us from John 16. He says, for a while you will weep, but you will have joy. Because Jesus was to conquer death. We see here in this passage, though, that joy is commanded. In Philippians 3.1, Paul says rejoice. It's in the imperative tense. Rejoice in the Lord. I love the way some of these other translations put it. One says, and that's about it, friends, be glad in God. Another says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And another, so now, my Christian brothers, be happy because you belong to Christ. And if you jump to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we read these translations: be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again: rejoice. Delight yourselves in God. Yes, find your joy in Him at all times. As we read these verses, it can sound like it's all on us to make this happen. That as we leave here today, our job is to activate that joy switch, to grit our teeth and say, I'm going to be happy no matter what. Children are a gift from the Lord. This day is a gift to the Lord. Be, Be thankful and rejoice today. That's not not what Paul is commanding us to do. Notice he says, rejoice in the Lord. You see, joy is both a decision on our part, and it's a work of God. It seems like an oxymoron, but we've already talked about this just in this book, back in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. We said, whose job is sanctification? Um, He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's working in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. Whose job is it for us to grow spiritually? Is it God or mine? Yes. The answer is yes. And the same with joy. Whose job is it to be joyful today? Is it my job or is it God's? And the answer is yes. He commands us here to rejoice in the Lord. But we also know from places like Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, Joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that's producing that in you and me. So whose job is joy? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, a command. Yet, the the fruit of the Spirit is joy. This, it seems contradictory, I get it. But it's not in the mind of God. You see, as, as we spend time in his presence, we can, we can tap into this, this joy that is overflowing and that is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we say, finally, lasting joy is rooted in Jesus. I would add there, I didn't put it on the screen, but lasting joy is rooted in Jesus and in loving others. You see, joy does not happen in isolation. If you're driving down the road, a a, a route that you travel every single day to work, and one day you pass by and there's this open field, you see it every single day, In the very next day you drive by, there is a fully constructed three-story house with with a manicured and landscaped lawn and a recently paved driveway and cars in the driveway you would naturally wonder if maybe you spent some time in a coma or you're just not that observant in your drive to work we recognize that if you see a brand new house that looks like that there was a lot that went in to making that house be a reality The same is true in a lot of walks of life, if you're going to go home and and watch the football game this afternoon, there's none of those guys on that field who just like Friday night like, hey, I think I'll take up football, and they got off their couch and decided that they would go join the the Lions. Now, in years past, they've played like they have players like that, I get that. (laughs) I get one amen and it's on the lion's joke. <laughs> we recognize that, that there's, there's th- th- that good things in life, that there's work that's gone into them, right? The same is true with joy. Joy is not just a, uh, I'm going to be joyful today. Joy is not just an overnight thing. Joy comes from being deeply rooted in who Jesus is and spending time with Jesus. Think about what we've been saying about this book so far. Think about this for a second. In the book that Paul talks about joy more than any other, what has he he been talking about? He's been talking about Jesus nonstop. He can't quit talking about Jesus. It's like when Peter and John in Acts chapter... I want to say it's Acts chapter 4, when they're pulled into prison... They're beaten, Uh, they're they're pulled aside by the Sanhedrin, I believe it is, they're beaten, and they're they're commanded, they said, um, they're they're commanded not to speak anymore about Jesus. And their answer to the authorities is is beautiful, it says, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. Later on in Acts, it it, it says that they could tell that, that they had been with Jesus, that the outsiders And the unbelievers could tell that these disciples had been with Jesus. There was something different about them because they spent their time in the presence of God. I draw your mind back to Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. Paul doesn't just say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. Take your joy and delight from him, not your circumstances. Those are, those change, not, not, your, not how you feel, not how your kids are behaving on a particular day, not how the lions do today. It, it, it's, it's a joy that's, that's based in the finished work of Jesus Christ, a joy that's based in the knowledge that Jesus has said, You're welcome into my family. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. You're my treasured possession. It's the confidence that we have from knowing that the God of the universe sent his one and only son to welcome us, not begrudgingly accept us, but to welcome us into his presence. And he says in that presence is fullness of joy. I'm going to tell you what, if, if joy is not a reality in your life, More than likely, you can trace it back to one or two things. And and, and really, we could encapsulate it in one. Either either sin, unrepentant sin, is crowding out your joy. And unrepentant sin will crowd out our joy every single time. Every single time. A lack of gratitude, I'm actually going to add to it. Secondly, a lack of gratitude, you're not taking time to be thankful Think about the most thankful people in your life, and chances are they're some of the most joyful people you've ever met. The kind of people you walk up to, and they don't lead with, oh, it was nine degrees when I got up this morning. But they lead with, you know, something great happened this week. Or I want to tell you about something that God taught me this week. Again, we're not talking about denying reality. There are times when you've got to say, man, I'm not doing well. Or this this really hit me hard. But at the root of a, thankful, of a joyful person is someone who's a thankful person. And I'd also add, if joy is missing from your life, you're probably not spending much time worshiping. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. I'm not talking about just coming to church Sunday mornings and singing songs. You know that. When we talk about worship, that's not what we're saying. We're talking about a lifestyle of being with God, of communing with God. Are, are. you thankful today? Have you been with God? Is there sin that you need to confess or repent of that God is convicting you of? I promise you, if, if if those things are undealt with in your life, the, the, they will choke off joy, just like when I'm trying to water the flowers, and all of a sudden the water's not coming out of the hose anymore, and I'm looking around and I see one of my kids <laughs> with the hose kinked up. Those things will choke out your joy. They will disrupt the flow of joy in your life if if you're being unthankful, if you're ignoring sin in your life, and you're choosing not to spend time in the presence of God. In Psalm 73, David says, God's presence is my good. God's presence is my good. We rejoice in the Lord. I just want to go on and add one more thing. Lasting joy is rooted in Jesus, but it it also is derived from loving others. There's no mistake, it's not by accident that the the most joyful book that Paul wrote also speaks over and over and over again about humility and serving and putting others above yourself. The reason that we said in chapter 2... The reason we spent a month on that Christ hymn, verses 5 through 11, the reason that's the center point of the entire book is Paul brings together these two things. He brings together Jesus, and he brings together service. And he says, if you want to know joy, make Jesus central in your life and make serving and loving others humbly center in your life. And you will be on the right path to experience joy. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to the one who has them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, draw us into your presence of joy today. God, teach us, to be, teach us to be deep Christians who understand that we live in a world surrounded by sin and hurt and heartache. I pray, God, that if we think that the way we're supposed to deal with that is by freaking out or sticking our head in the sand, or gritting our teeth and pretending it's not there. I ask God that you would give us a more rounded view of what it means to to follow you. May we turn to Jesus. May we see the Jesus who wept at his dear friend's grave. May we see the Jesus whose heart was moved with compassion Because he saw the lost as sheep without a shepherd. Father, teach us to live in this world in a way that that acknowledges pain and heartache, but is not overcome by it, but is not overwhelmed. Teach us what it is to live with joy. Heavenly Father, if I have brothers and sisters in here this week that that have struggled to find joy. I pray, Father, that you would open up their eyes in a fresh way, even right now as we're praying, to the beauty and glory of Jesus. Would you give them, and as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, a glimpse of the height and the depth and the width of the love of of Jesus Christ for their souls. May they see you not simply as a God who loves the world in a general way, but who specifically, truly loves them. And I ask God that you would give us a longing to spend time in your presence, reflecting on who you are, reflecting on what Jesus has done upon the cross reflecting on the blessings that we have in Christ reflecting upon the eternal hope that we have as as we participate in your very life oh god i pray that if there's sin that is choking out the joy in our life that that we would repent of that right now that we would bring it before you recognizing that there's freedom in confessing sin and turning from it. The enemy wants us to believe that, that freedom is choosing our own way. I pray that each heart would find freedom in Jesus Christ, in living your way, oh God. Teach us to be thankful people. Teach us to be worshipful people. May we long to be near you, oh God. And may the, the, the joy that we have in Christ be a witness to the watching world. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.